Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, Merry Christmas. Much of life is made up of moments that can be described as normal, average, or routine. But there are those moments that alter the course of human condition through cataclysmic events or an epic circumstance. Now, we face this both on a personal level, we experience this on a global level as well. On a personal level, there's any number of things that could fill in the gaps here but it could be moving to a new city, falling in love, getting married, starting a family. Maybe it's leaving a job, getting fired from that job. Leaving is the nice way of saying it, but sometimes we have to leave a job and start a new one. These are life-altering moments. It could be the passing of a loved one, caring for an aging parent or retirement. All these events can change the trajectory of our lives and of those of who we love. So on a personal level, there's any number of things you could add to that list. There's things that you could identify with and say, hey, this was life-altering for me, for my family. But on a global level, we could trace back through history and highlight any number of things that have changed the direction, the course of life as we know it. But closer to our current experience would be the terrorist attacks on 9-11. You know where you were when you heard the news. Sobering. It can't be real. How do... No. eh. And yet even closer to our experience is the pandemic of 2020. These events have altered the course of our lives as we know it. But seldom, however, do we recognize or appreciate history as his story and how Jesus is the centerpiece and pivot for all of life. He is its source, its fuel, and its end. Both Matthew 4 and Isaiah 9 speak to this truly epic, pivotal moment when our Lord Jesus came into the world. Matthew's gospel will speak of light, and it's the first instance in the New Testament canon where the word light appears. There's two extended passages that I would like us to hear again. These are familiar passages, but we'll start in Matthew 4. It's the main text here this morning, but we'll be drawing from both Matthew 4 and Isaiah 9. In Matthew 4, starting in verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, 
repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Isaiah 9. We heard it read during call to worship, but to draw our hearts and attention back to it. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought in contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad with when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are the passages that we'll be considering here this morning. And let's pause just to pray and thank God for the reality that he has fulfilled what he's promised. Father, thank you for the text of Scripture. Apart from your revealed word, we'd know you only in part. And yet you have chosen to share with us some amazing, special truths of who you are and the fact that you're in control of all of human history and you love us so much that you would give us of your son. We celebrate King Jesus this morning. We worship you. May our hearts be strengthened and encouraged and refreshed by Jesus, our light. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The outline this morning will have just three points to this study on Christmas Day. And the first one is fairly straightforward, that Jesus fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. In Matthew 4, it's quoting Isaiah 9. And for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's apparent that the New Testament writers saw Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy made nearly 700 years earlier. And as Christians, sadly, we can become very comfortable and complacent by the miraculous and the marvelous. And it's simply through overexposure. Our ears can just grow dull of hearing these rich truths over and over, but let them not become mundane to us or meh. Let us hear them fresh. Let us see them fresh. So in reality, Matthew is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The second thought noted in our passage is how Jesus brings light into the darkness. 
Jesus is the light in the darkness. In Matthew chapter 4, our passage is not speaking of physical light. It's speaking of spiritual light. Well, why do we need this light? Well, verse 16 reminds us. Matthew 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Verse 16 reminds us of the human experience and that it's lived in darkness. A deep, penetrating darkness has enveloped the entire realm in which we live. Darkness is our normal. Darkness is more than mere metaphor. We live with the shadow of death daily. And yet we're so immersed in it, it's hard for us to see beyond it. Humanity is born in, dark, in the darkness of sin's depravity. Humanity is dark and desperately needs the transforming, life-altering light that only Jesus provides. Jesus is the light in our darkness. Jesus is the dawning of a new and glorious day. So consider with me the brief exposure of light from a few other passages in the New Testament. In Luke 1, Zechariah is prophesying of his son John, we know as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just around the corner in Luke's gospel in chapter 2, Jesus is presented in the temple and Simeon says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Listen to how John puts it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later in John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus identifies himself as the light. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then later in John chapter 12, starting in verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Throughout these passages, light contrasts darkness. Light dispels darkness, and yet darkness is resisting and pushing against the light. Not only does Jesus bring light, but he brings light to the nations, and he not only brings it, but he is it. He embodies it. How beautiful is this? The darkness described for the nations But the reality is that Jesus is the light that banishes the darkness and brings joy to the nations. The third and final point is just that, that Jesus brings joy to the nations. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 3, we have the first occurrence of the word joy and rejoicing in Isaiah's writings. Isaiah 9.3, you have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, the context really helps make this statement more dramatic. We always have to consider the context. But there's two main reasons why the people are rejoicing in this text. Why is the nation rejoicing? Well, the first is that the yoke of their oppressors is broken. That's verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden for the, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot and the tramping warrior and the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is written in a poetic form. And with poetry, you have this rich parallelism. Well, the parallelism taking place here is graphic and powerful. It draws us in. And there's two words that are working as synonyms that I want to draw our attention to. In verse 4, it's the word broken. In verse 5, it's the word burned. The yoke, the staff, the rod, all working parallel. All of that oppression has been broken. Everything that results from war in the description here in verse 5, the boot and the garment of the soldier, of the warrior, is burned as fuel for the fire. The yoke of their oppression has been broken. The war that they experience has ceased. This is really outside of our window of experience. We can't really resonate with the joy that comes when our oppressor, has been dealt with, when the war has ceased. That's not our experience here in America. But for those truly enslaved and oppressed 
and victimized. This breaking is indescribable. And in the context, it's a reference for physical deliverance. But we know that there's always this point in time, this immediate fulfillment, and there's a richer, fuller, more meaningful expression in the spiritual release of oppression and bondage. All of humanity is enslaved. And yet only in Christ is humanity released and freed. So every reminder of past bondage shall be consumed and removed and forgotten on that great day of deliverance. And so that's the first reason why the nation and the nations are rejoicing is because the yoke of oppression has been broken. The second is that the divine child has come. This is the reason that oppression has ceased. This is the reason that the darkness has lifted. In Isaiah 9, we're very familiar with verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It's the zeal, it's the passion of the Lord of hosts that will actually accomplish this. A few ideas are notable in this. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 7 Isaiah 11, and everything in between. We can't isolate this, but there's been promises that have been made in reading through Isaiah that have been building up in chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 7 and 9 here and 11 and following. And Matthew says Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. There's an accumulation of these prophecies and promises And they find their fulfillment in Jesus. He is their climax. And then it's interesting in verse 6. The titles that are given of this child. Whoever this child is. Is going to come in and possess these titles. Titles of wonderful counselor. Boy, don't we need that. All throughout history. We've needed someone to come in with such wonderful counsel and it actually be true and actually be life-changing. The mighty God. The God who is powerful enough to speak the world into existence and hold it all together by the word of his power. This mighty God is one of the titles of this child. Everlasting Father. These are one of those concepts that we cannot wrap our mind around from beginning where there was no beginning, eternal. And then Prince of Peace. That's one our heart resonates with. It's one that we desperately long for this idea of peace. We know the darkness of destruction, the darkness of despair, 
of death. We know what it's like to live in unrest, even by watching the the news. Locally, nationally, globally, we know what it's like for there not to be peace. And our experience isn't unique. All throughout history, it's just been experiencing more and more and more of the same. In a world gone mad with injustice, exploitation, corruption, inequality, immorality, indifference, and an ongoing abuse of power, the idea of ultimate justice is unfathomable. But that's our biblical hope. We long for justice. We long for righteousness. We long for peace. The king, the ruler who comes, will administrate justice perfectly. And as a consequence, there will be peace. And of this rule and reign, there will be no end. And then ultimately, he will act in accordance with these titles. They're not mere titles. They are descriptions of the nature and character and what we will see in action. He will establish his rule and reign with justice and righteousness. And that's what creates peace. So when Jesus shows up, this will be reality. And verse 7 says, from this time forth and forevermore. Very similar to what the message that Mary was given by the angel in Luke 1. The angel says to Mary, do not fear. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We long for that day. Christmas, it's all about joy, either by the company we keep, the gifts we receive and give, or the food we eat. Isn't there something joyous about watching a child unwrap a gift that they have been anticipating, the anxieties building, they're longing for it, they're hoping it's there, and then to see them light up when it is what they thought it was, when it is even better than what they thought it could be. These shadows are all meant for us to enjoy, but they're only shadows. Both Isaiah and Matthew speak of this light as bringing joy, this divinely sourced and empowered joy that comes in and destroys the darkness, dispels it, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In what Jesus inaugurates, he consummates. One day, this glorious light of Jesus will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Listen carefully to how John gives a final word regarding Jesus as the light of the world in Revelation 21 and 22. 
Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor any, anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a contrast to those who sat in darkness, who lived, who dwelt in darkness, who lived in the shadow of death. This has been inaugurated. It's been realized in Jesus, in his first coming, in one day, that's all we'll know. Revelation 22, there will no longer be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, And they will reign forever and ever. On this day, today, we celebrate the biblical fact of a divine incarnation. This child is more than sentimental religiosity or misplaced devotion. This child is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. This child is God's only begotten son. And this child ushers in the dawning of a new day. Jesus has fulfilled all prophecy at his first coming. And he will fulfill and finalize all this prophecy at his second coming. So today, as you gather with family, you share gifts, and you feast, let the good shadow point you to the best substance. Let us celebrate Jesus as the light and joy of the world. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so thankful. Our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude. And right now we only know in part. We've experienced this light. We've experienced this joy. And yet our experience, we still live in this world of darkness. We still face it head on. We're still immersed in it. And yet you have transformed us by the glorious light of this gospel. And you've entrusted this glorious message. You've concealed it within us and it's to shine through our lives. Paul talks about how this light shines through these broken vessels that we we possess and live in. And may the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom we boast, shine through our lives as we gather with family, as we spend time together. May they be exposed to the gospel. May we taste and see and enjoy all the, the tangible expressions that we find in shadow form, knowing that you are the substance of it all. 
We praise you, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.